0: My few thoughts today are very specifically for all who are thirsty and all who are weak. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Advent is the season of coming. It's the season both, most um, imaged in my mind of us having our hands on the belly feeling the baby move. That's the picture of Advent. And if you've ever waited for a baby, you have no control over this. This is something coming to you. It's something that's going to burst into your life. And Advent is the season when God is coming to us. And if we would really grasp this, one of two things would happen. We might dance and sing at the top of our lungs and decorate the best Christmas tree you ever saw and gather presents for everyone we love. That is a very appropriate response to God coming to us. Or, we might be afraid. Lots of us are already afraid, so it's only a short step to a new and deeper kind of being afraid. You know, the two messages of Advent are right there. God is coming, don't be afraid. My husband, who's a pastor, says that he thinks it was eight times in the The very immediate story of the advent when the angel comes with the message, God is doing something, don't be afraid. God knows us better than ourselves, don't be afraid. It's good that we have this season to meditate on the fact that God is coming to us because most of the time we think about ourselves going to God or other people going to God. I think that's safer. If the story of the gospel is about me going to God, I can control that. I can go slower. I can go fast. I can go with parts of me. I can go covered in any way. If the story, however, of the gospel is that God is coming to us, I'm terrified. Don't be afraid. The gospel is a prism that has many reflections of light, and when we hold it a certain way, we see one of the reflections. And I'm going to be looking through one prism of Advent. I once preached a sermon here and a a student came to me afterward. And a beautiful young student who told me all the things I had missed in that scripture. So I'd just like to say that there are things in these scriptures that I'm not talking about today. But I know they're there, okay? Just so you're comfortable. And if you need to talk about them, you can come see me. It's all okay. But just think about John 1. 1 to 4, in the beginning, before you, before me, before this world, in the beginning, the Word was. And the Word was with God, and the Word actually was God. He is the creator of all things. He is the source of life. He is the breath that goes in and out of my lungs and in and out of your lungs. He is the source of light for all our lives, every day of our life. His light is never overcome by darkness. And this is the word that was made flesh among us. Be afraid. Dance mightily. Respond. The thing I'd like to focus on today is how everything begins with God. He is before anything. He is before everything. And our very life is in and through him. Sometime in the middle of your life, God didn't appear in your life and you came to him. And that's where you and God began. You and God began before you were ever born, Psalm 139 that we had so nicely read by John. But how can we be sure? How can we be sure that our life is in God? How can we be not afraid when God comes to us? How can we know that it's okay, that we are there ready to receive him? How can we know that? Now wouldn't it be great if when we became a Christian Suddenly, our skin took on a slightly mauve glow. And, you know, just kind of a purpley glow that maybe only showed under a black light, but you start to notice it. Oh, my goodness, I'm a little (laughs) mauve-ish, as the British would say. And then when we had an experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit, we, of course, became much brighter purple. And people start to notice us, and they could ask us to do things. And then what if when we did many good works, we became sort of a royal purple, sort of like a royal priesthood, and, and people would, we would be very much standoutish people. People would know who we were and what we had. And then, of course, if we got lazy, we could just fade back to mauve. <laughs> and when we walked through the mall, people could tell if we were a serious Christian or not. And here at Asbury, we would know who to graduate with honors and who to just, like, sort of slide through, you know, sort of an unlikely alumni. And I think, though, the greatest relief would come to us personally because every day we could get up and we could check our purple. Wouldn't that be good? Uh, I was brought up in extreme religion, extreme Christian religion, but extreme religion also. And we had many things we didn't do in our house, and most of them were not done for the sake of pervert preserving our purple, preserving our testimony. For instance, we did not dance or play cards with cards that had like queens and jacks. You could play like rook cards. How many of you had that? Yeah, you know, that we actually called the one deck the sin cards. So you could play cards, but not with sin cards. And um, we also, you know, we did things like not mowing our lawn on Sundays. That was a very big part of our purple, or shopping on Sundays, except the one time in my whole childhood when my mother stopped at the store on the way home to church to get cream because we were having company, and a bee stung her on the face. True story, signed from God, just want to say. So what we did was go to church a lot. In fact, when Steve and I started our first ministry in 1989, I think was our first church that we were the senior pastors of, we came across a little book called the choir standard it was who you had to be and how you had to look in order to be in the choir and I'd just like to say that most of you right now would not qualify you had to have a certain look, you had to have no makeup, you had to have no earrings, the men had to wear ties and this was not the standard for Sunday this was the standard for your purple, it was the standard for your testimony and if you could not live up to it and the whole thing was written out in the front of this book we had great fun with that book I must say. So um, when we didn't do all these things we had our purple on and we thought that perhaps people would notice our testimony. Um, Except one day you know as Christians we all started to realize that some of that didn't like actually no one cared. Like no one cared that we didn't mow our lawn on Sunday or that we didn't have pierced ears. It was not actually our testimony. And then we all got together and we started thinking that maybe things were silly. I think the point at which Steve and I found out that things were silly, or thought they were, was when we left our little town of Stony Plain where we had a church. We drove 37 miles out of town to another town to go see Chariots of Fire at a sin house, and we found half our church there. (laughs) And we all stood there and said, why are we in Delburn? This is ridiculous. We have a theater and the movie's playing in our town. And we started thinking, things are silly. And, uh, you know, so, so we liberated ourselves. And um, we got our ears pierced and we started wearing makeup. At least I did. Not everyone in our family did. Um, and we went to movies. And most of us adopted our small selection of acceptable swear words. And we danced, but not vigorously. So, you know, we still had our purple on. But then there were those days where we actually wondered if we were different from anybody else. I even said that to Steve. What's different about our home than anybody else's home in our town? What are we, what are we, what are we selling here? What are we talking about? Uh, if you took away all your Christian culture, maybe even church, if all you had left was what was happening inside of you, how confident would you be that you belong to God? What would your purple be? We take off your witty Jesus t-shirt, turn off your loud gospel music. What's left if all that goes? That's a good thing to think about. I'm convinced that the marks of a witness now are quite different than the marks of a witness when I was a girl. I think it did matter how we lived back then. And the church had a standard, and we did keep it, and people noticed our standard. I don't think that standard matters today, but I do think there is something much greater that is the mark of a witness, that is the purple, that people would stand up. Uh, Can you guess what it is? Maybe, can you guess what, say to your neighbor what you think it might be. Okay, I may be wrong, but I'm more and more convinced it's true. I think the mark that makes a person stand out as someone totally different, is love exhibited as no fear. See, perfect love casts out fear. Everyone is afraid. If you are not afraid, if the love in you is so strong that you are not afraid, that's big purple. At least that's what I'm starting to think deeply. So I want to talk just a little bit about how firm your hold is on God, and I'm going to tell a little story of my own, And yes, friends, I'm going to step into the realm of eternal security, so go with me. It's a viper's pit, and um, I know you'll all have something to say to me when I'm done this. So my testimony is that I have worked for many, many decades very hard to hold on to God, and yet I had a a lot of bad moments. Sometimes when I was in the midst of the best ministries of my life, I had times where I wondered to myself if God loved me. Or if I was redeemable or if I had enough or if I'd done enough, especially if I'd failed someone and they'd let me know and so on. But one day in my darkest place I learned forever the answer to this question and I tell you it has never changed and I am utterly different because of it. And I sensed on Monday that God wanted someone to hear this story and I wrote it in my phone notes As the sermon I would preach, I usually get asked to preach every September. And it was the sermon I would preach in September. And yesterday, I was in a meeting when Dr. Tennant talked to Jessica LeGronin and said, J.D. Walt cannot preach tomorrow. We need to find a preacher. And my heart started pounding like I didn't write it. I have three sentences. (laughs) This sermon is three sentences. But I knew that it was supposed to be preached today, so I don't really care how good it is I, or how perfect. I know that it is for somebody today. So let me just let, just tell you what happened to me. It's no secret in this community that I had a rough start, and when I was 15, I gave birth to an illegitimate son. Um, I did that particular journey alone. I gave birth in a hospital in Toronto with no one helping me, and the next morning I walked away alone. And from that time in my life, for 35 years, no one talked to me about it. So I was not given the grace of a process to come back to wholeness. Now, um, that wasn't my darkest moment. That wasn't a good moment, I have to say, Um, but it wasn't my darkest moment. The darkest moment happened 35 years later. You know, I'd come to God. My husband had come to God. We had been transformed. We'd been filled with the Spirit. We'd had experiences of healing. We had followed with our whole hearts. I have to tell you, we followed with our whole hearts. I can honestly say that in a space of like 20 years, I never once consciously said no to God if I had a real sense that he was asking me for something and some of the things I did I think were nutty and weren't really what God was asking me to do but if God's if I felt like God was saying you're going to go do this I just went and did it so we were not we were not lazy believers we just gave it God had kept us alive we were everything and um <laughs> so 35 years into that I got a letter and an opportunity to meet this son that I had given up, and that is a whole story, and it's a miracle how that happened. So we arranged to go to, Ban- to Calgary, Alberta, which is our home city, and it was a very much like an Oprah moment. We met—I met my son Mark in a hotel. I wish you all could have a chance to do that. I mean, you have to have a few bad things happen first, but if you could just meet that son, I told another friend about it with that the emotion, the passion, the love of that moment was so great my son, my friend said to me with tears in his eyes, oh I wish I could be found like that. It was beautiful. So we, um, and then Steve came in, I asked for the right, the privilege to meet him first and we talked and uh, of course the first contacts, you'd think you'd say profound things, you don't. I told him I thought he was so tall and he said I, he thought I was young. His, his mother was 72 at the time and um, We traveled, we went to Banff, we rode the gondola, we walked, we ate, we talked for hours, and then we took him to the airport. And Steve and I had to drive three hours where I was a speaker at a conference. When we put Mark on that plane, I started to sob. Now you might wonder why I sobbed. This truly was my darkest moment. You know, I had been a believer now for 30 years, and I'd followed God with my whole heart, and I'd worked with many non-believers. But I didn't know the gulf between a person who is with God and a person who is not until that day. And I couldn't reach across to Mark because of this huge gulf between us. I was on one side, my worldview, my knowing of God. I mean, it was my whole being. And on the other side was a secular humanist, humanist, a, a Ph.D. aerospace engineer, scientist, um, Who's, who had never been to the church, didn't want to have anything to do with religion, didn't. And, and we had all our connection was deep and loving and fabulous and longing, and we held each other and we cried and we talked, and there was this huge gulf. It's like the Grand Canyon. I knew I would never get across it. So I made a choice. I decided I would have Mark and not God. Now, some of you are appalled right here. What is she doing preaching to us? That was 10 years ago. I worked here. I sometimes preached in the chapel. My husband was a pastor at a church in the city. And I made a very distinct personal decision that I would have Mark. If it was between Mark and God, I would have Mark. Now, you have to understand something about trauma to understand this, because trauma has to do, if trauma is not processed, it lives inside of you. And I had a very large amount of 15-year-old emotions inside of me. I wanted to hold my son. I wanted to put him back in my womb and run away with him. I wanted his mother to die. (laughs) Isn't that mature? I just wished she would die because she was old and he didn't need her. I said to him that first day, he said to me, you know, my mom and I didn't always get along. Well, that's a really kind thing for him to say to me. But I said back to him, well, that's because I was supposed to be your mom. Like we had these weird, but inside I'm like, you had the wrong mom. This is all wrong. I I just wanted to only have him and have him only want to have me it was very insane but I did make that choice and I thought I'm not going to talk to him about my faith I'm not going to let my faith come between me and him I'm going to go to his worldview I'm going to I have to have him so I erased God and I didn't pray and I didn't and I decided I would join Mark on his side of the canyon now, <laughs> how can I say this? This is the moment of my eternal, my understanding, my eternal security. Aren't you confused? I try to say the truth. Sometimes it comes out confusing. You know what happened when I decided to leave God? I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I could not walk away. I could no more not be embedded with God than I could be not Maryland. I cannot be a tall, black, svelte, African-American woman. I would love that, but I can't. <laughs> I cannot not be my husband's wife. I could not not be his wife. I'm so his wife. I, we're, so Im- we're so embedded, we're so to one. And it was only when I decided that I would rather have something more than God that I found out that it wasn't possible. That was the day. I remember the very day it happened. I was sitting on the porch. I'd been with Mark for about three months trying to figure this out. Many, many tears. I was sitting on the porch on my house, on the cement steps, and I burst out laughing. And I thought, I can't escape. Where can I go? If I go to the heavens, God is there. If I go to the depths of absolute hell, God is there. And you know what God said to me? This was so great. God said to me, Marilyn... You are going to cross this cavern, but I'm going to cross it with you. It's, it, well, I didn't have to lose God to have Mark. You know what I mean? And I couldn't anyways. My friends, that's the day I sat on the porch. Maybe I am a Christian. I mean, I'd been being a lot of Christian up to then. But that day I sat on the porch sobbing and I thought, Really, God? Really? You, I can't even leave you? What is this? but it wasn't about leaving him. See, sometimes we get in this really immature, childish thing where we say, oh, I'm so tired of being a Christian, I'm going to go have a beer. Big deal. Like, that's just being a 13-year-old, right? Or you say, that's it, I'm gonna do, God, I'm, uh, I can follow God and I can have this thing in my life because I can handle it and I'm tough and, and I'll have to be like all these stuffy Christians, you know, look at them. I'm gonna have 15 tattoos, I don't care. You know, you think God cares about that? I don't think very much. That's just childish. But one day you find out that there's not one thing outside you that's actually the thing that's making you God's. It's all here. It's all here. And this is what formation is formation is being made in the image of Christ. There's something in my little soul that is made in the image of Christ. And it doesn't mean you'll all like me, and it doesn't mean I do a good job, and it doesn't mean I'm the best at preaching. All it means is that I can't not be in the image of Christ. It's deep in me. I cannot relate to Mark as someone who isn't with God. I can't get to him without God, because I can't move without God. You know, friends, it is not about your firm grasp of him. I learned that 10 years ago. I sat on that porch and I said, you mean you love me when I'm bad? And he didn't even, I mean, he just didn't even answer it. It was so ridiculous. (laughs) I can be bad. It's not a big deal, just like my kids can be bad. That's not the goal. The goal is to be made in the image of Christ. Friends, without pride, I can tell you that I am made in the image of Christ. I have a long way to go. I do not pretend to be entirely sanctified. If you live around me, you know I have much human. But you know what? This thing—it actually released me into my humanity. I didn't have to be this weird pretending to be a Christian person. I became the person, like just the realization—you become the person that you God intended you to be before Eden, or before uh, the fall, right? Free, a little bit ridiculous, able to play, able to run around in your bare feet, able to be undignified. Able to make mistakes and not hate yourself for two weeks. Able to fail at an exam. And able to love and succeed and be free of fear because of love. Where can I go to flee from your spirit? Where will I go to run from your presence? If I run to Mark, you are there. If I go down where the dead are, you are there. If I take up like a bird and fly into the sunset. Well, you're just flying beside me and in me and through me because my very breath is yours and when the darkness threatens to overcome me you don't even see the darkness friends some of you are in darkness right now and it's threatening to overcome you and you think God can't find you because you're in the dark well darkness and light are the same to you darkness is a fog to us but it's not a fog to God I once talked to some missionaries about the love of God, and one really sweet missionary came up to me and said, Marilyn, I do believe God loves us, but we shouldn't let it go to our head. (laughs) And maybe you think I'm taking this a little too far, but I do know for sure that God does not want us in strangling anxiety about whether we are loved and whether we are his. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was, in fact, God. And this word came to us because God loved us. And this word holds on to us. And it is never, ever about how hard we hold on to him. Keep your hands on the belly. Something's going to happen.